We believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, changes lives. And so we're watching uh, these five individuals, all of whom are here today. Um, they're continuing to grow in their faith. They're continuing to take steps of obedience to Jesus and to the gospel. We love that. Um, that's why we are here to make disciples of Jesus. And baptism is immediately following our salvation. Baptism is that next step. It's saying, I'm going to publicly identify with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus through the symbol of baptism. So we talked about that two weeks ago. Last week, we talked about a next step that we call Sundays. We talked about what the church is. And the word church that's translated church in the New Testament is a Greek word, ekklesia. And ecclesia means this. Uh, you don't have to remember that word. Um, if, you, if you forget it, you can actually go back to Ecclesiastes, um, a book written in Hebrew, but with a Greek title. Don't ask too many questions. Um, but what we find is that book actually means the gathered. And so um, what we find, though, is that just it's the gathering. That's what the ecclesia is. That's what the church is. And so we talked about what it means to gather. Um, can you have a gathering that never gathers? If you say, I'm part of such and such gathering, and you never go and gather with such and such gathering, are you part of the gathering? No. Um, so your name might be on a membership roster, or you might be on, but if you're not part of the gathering of the believers, can I just push back a little bit and say, you may not be part of the gathering, right? And so, gatherings, gather. It's in the word, <laughs> gather. Today, we're going to jump into, we're going to talk about the next step of what, uh, what I call a daily walk. A daily walk. Um, there are certain habits and certain things in life that we all do uh, daily or pretty close to daily. Um, what are some things that we do? Uh, what are some things that we do every day or that people do most days, if not every day? What are some things? Just help me out here. Let's brush your teeth. How many of you brush your teeth every day? <laughs> all right. Um, good. Good. Most of you. Awesome. I love it. Um, we, all right. We brush our teeth. All right. That's a good thing to do every day. Um, what else? What's something else we do every day? We eat coffee. Um, we, okay, let's, let's just split the crowd here. Um, how many of you are coffee drinkers? Now the day goes by without a cup or five. All right, good, awesome. Um, how many guys coffee is the worst thing I've ever had? Bean water, don't give me none of that. Anybody? All right, a few of you? Okay, super, all right. Um, sorry about you. So, <laughs> some of us are just dependent on the stuff. Uh, so we, we, coffee, we eat, I heard someone say eat, right? How many of us we eat daily, right? We all have, I mean, some of us eat more like hourly, right? If you're like me, you kind of just get the munchies and you just want to like grab whatever you can. Okay, good. Um, we hopefully, hopefully we said brush your teeth. We can expand that to like clean ourselves, right? <laughs> hopefully do some sort of that every day. Um, what else? What else do we do daily? Anything else? Pray, Pray hopefully, right? Hopefully, right? Hopefully read your Bible, right? All right, hopefully. We're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. Both of those things. Awesome. So we have these things that we do. Some of them are things that everybody does every day. Some of them are the things we should do every day, like pray, read our Bible, um, exercise, uh, right? We should do those things every day. Um, some of them are things that we just do every day. As we get into the scripture, as we go into this, um, I want you to understand with me um, that from the very beginning of the scripture, we see a pattern that God cares about what we do every day. Okay? Are you following me so far? God cares about what you and I do on a daily basis. 
Sometimes if we look at our faith, we can think of it's a faith for special occasions or special events. Um, Christmas, Easter, Mother's Day, right? Uh, your faith is not designed for once in a while. Your faith is designed to happen daily. Uh, what we see throughout the Bible, you go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 17, um, and you can read this on your own. If you want to take notes, you can look at this on, by yourself. Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20. So the very beginning, the fifth book of the Bible tells the king that he ought to read the law every day. He ought to open up God's words every day to give him wisdom and discernment as he makes decisions. The next book after that, just a few chapters later, Joshua chapter number one, God is speaking and Joshua is speaking here to the people, says that the law, you ought to meditate on it day and night so that it will not depart out of your mouth. And so there ought to be this habitual going to and thinking on and processing the words of God. Psalm 1, verse number 2, uh, says the righteous delights in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And it even paints this beautiful picture of how a, uh, the, a righteous man is like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Uh, but how does that tree bring forth fruit? What is the river that it's planted beside where it's drawing its nutrients from? Well, it's, it's the law of the Lord. Where he's meditating. How often is he meditating on this? Day and night. So name a time when he is not meditating on this. That's what day and night means, all right? It's, a, it's a, an expression that means all the time. So day and night, there's no exception, there's no in-between. I guess if you really want to be picky, then dawn and dusk, I guess you could say. All right, so you can spend 10 minutes a day not meditating on the law of the Lord, if you really want to be picky about it. What's the point? We're in, we're meditating. It's a habit, it's part of our life. And in fact, even later, we see that Paul, uh, and Luke is recording this, but Paul would go and he would minister uh, in a city uh, known as Berea. Um, and he speaks of the Bereans very highly, Luke does, in the book of Acts, chapter number 17. In fact, he says they are so noble that they search the scriptures daily. So daily they're going into the word of God. Daily they are feasting on it. Daily they are going in and they are eating from the word of God, feeding themselves spiritually. And so we find over and over and over again this idea. But here's what I want you to take away. Here's, here's what I believe the point is of all of these passages. I heard someone say it this way, um, and, and I want you to catch this. We need to get into the Word of God until the Word of God gets into us. Can I say that again? Get into the Word until the Word gets into you. We don't just look at the Bible, and it's not just a manual that we flip open when we're in need of help. No, no, no. You want to really grow in your faith? Devour it. Get into it until it is a part of you. Until your decision-making reflects the Word of God. Until your behavior reflects the Word of God. Not because you're having to sit there and think about so hard. No, You've meditated on, you have studied, you have digested so much that you have gotten into it, and now it's inside of you. And it's just what comes out. See, oftentimes we try to conform our life to some moral standard or some set of beliefs. But then what happens when uh, frustrating days come? What happens when hard times enter our life? How do we respond? Well, I'll tell you, you're going to respond the way that you've prepared yourself to respond. You're going to respond the way that you've prepared yourself to respond. 
Whatever's on the inside in those difficult days is going to come out in trials. And so what do we see? If the word of God is inside of us, what's coming out in the middle of those trials? The word of God. If our own flesh and our own desires and our own wants and needs and greeds are the things that are inside of us, and then all of a sudden trials come, break us open, what's coming out? I'm coming out. My flesh is coming out. All the stuff that I want to keep hidden beneath the surface is all of a sudden pouring out. But if the word of God is inside of you, the word of God is the thing that's going to come out. But we have to get into the word of God until the word of God gets inside of us. So as we jump into John chapter number 15, what we're going to find is the principle of all of these things. Um, this isn't a, uh, uh, this won't be a sermon that gets all into the weeds of what we would call hermeneutics. Um, hermeneutics meaning um, the study of the Bible. It's a fancy theological word. So if you want to impress your friends, um, you can just write down hermeneutics. Um, not the study of Herman. It's the study of how to read through the text, read through the word of God. And so as we go through this, what we are looking at is the principles of why it matters that we are participating in a daily walk. Why we go to the Lord in prayer, we'll hit that here in a few minutes. Why we go to the scripture for understanding, why we study the word, not just when we feel like we need to, not just on Sundays, but on a day-to-day basis. Before we jump into this text here in John chapter 15, I want to get you really familiar with the word. And the word here, you're going to find the first time that we will find this here is in verse number four. The first word in verse number four, uh, what is that first word? Abide. Some of you using uh, maybe a different translation may find a different word, but most of you are going to have that word, abide. Abide. And that word abide, it's not, a, it's not an everyday word, right? Many of us probably have some familiarity with abide, but you probably, um, uh, when, you're, when your in-laws were coming into town last time, you probably didn't say, come abide with us, right? Anyone ever told anyone to come abide with them? No one? Uh, we don't, we don't, we don't use this word consistently. Um, this comes from a Greek word. The Greek word is meno, meno, and it simply means this, to stay, to continue, to dwell, to endure, to stand, to remain, to live in. And so as we look at this word abide, you could substitute live in. This word here doesn't require as much, uh, doing as it does staying. Okay, you follow me? This is a word that doesn't mean we have, it's not a a thou shalt word. This is a continue word. Keep at this. And so as we go into uh, chapter number 15, watch what Jesus says. These are his words as he begins the chapter. And everything actually we're going to read today are part of Jesus' teaching to his apostles soon before his death, burial, and resurrection. He says this in verse number one, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Okay, so what do we have so far? (laughs) Well, what Jesus is doing is he's introducing what we call an allegory, an allegory. Now, we have to be very careful as we go to the Bible not to take and uh, create allegories where there aren't allegories, but here Jesus is very clear. I'm giving this teaching, and in this teaching I'm about to tell you, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, the husbandman, the farmer, if you will. 
And so these are the two roles that we see immediately in this chapter. And then from here, what we're going to do is we're going to jump into what is he teaching us and where do we fit into all of this picture? But before we do, I want to take a look at what does Jesus say that he is? He uses two words to describe himself. I am what? The? Not just the vine. What kind of vine? True vine. I am the true vine. As he's speaking, he's speaking to um, now 11 Jewish men, and he's telling them this. All throughout the Old Testament, the vine is used, but it's not used to describe Jesus. It's used to describe the nation of Israel. Jesus begins to speak of Israel as this, uh, I'm sorry, uh, he's comparing himself to Israel, who he's comparing to an unfruitful vine. Isaiah chapter 5, if you want to study further, Jeremiah chapter 2, Psalm 80, verse number 8. And what we see over and over again is we see that Israel is the vine, and God is speaking to Israel as this vine that he's trying to care for, but it's a vine that doesn't bring the fruit that it was destined and supposed to bring. And so Jesus now comes in in chapter 15 of the book of John and says, I am the true vine. Not just I am a vine. He says, I am the true vine. I am the vine that's coming to do the things that Israel could not do. And we see that Israel was the unfruitful vine. But what we're going to find out this morning is that Jesus is not the unfruitful vine or just another unfruitful vine. He is the true vine that bears fruit. He's the vine that does what God had said about for him to do. John chapter number 15. Let's keep reading here. So he says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And so as we look at this, uh, we can go down a little bit further. We'll we'll, we'll peek ahead. Uh, But what we're going to see is verse number five. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. And so the branches are those who are professing faith in Christ. And what is the role? We have to understand ourselves. What is the role of the branch? Look at verse number four with me. So let's, let's read through. Let's read verses three and four. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. So dwell, remain, stay, live in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot Bear fruit by itself, unless it abides, dwells, lives in, remains, continues in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide, continue in me. And so we see what is the role of the vine? The role of the vine, I'm sorry, the role of the branches is to do what? To bear fruit. The role of branches is to bear fruit. But how does the branch go about bearing fruit? Well, he actually tells us first, before he goes into the fruitful branch, what does he say in verse number two? Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, what does he do with those branches? He takes them away. He takes them away. You see, what happens with the branches that are there that are, are not bearing fruit? Well, they're taking resources. How many of you, you've, um, you've planted a garden, you've taken trees, orchards, something like that, some kind of fruit that requires pruning? Anybody worked with fruit that require pruning? All right, super. Um, I'm going to confess to you, I have not, all right, because uh, these thumbs ain't green. Let's just say it that way. But what I've been told by numerous people who have done this 
is that the pruning process is necessary. Because those branches that are unfruitful, what will happen if they are allowed to continue to grow? They'll keep taking the nutrients. They will keep growing, but they'll never bear fruit. And so he begins by saying, not what he's doing with the fruitful branches, but giving this warning to those that are not providing fruit. And understand that these branches are only attached superficially. The life of the vine is not entering into these branches to bear fruit. Um, And there are a few different interpretations of this passage. I'm going to give them to you. I'm going to tell you how I interpret it, what I believe this is referring to. But what we see is that we see those that he says, in me does not bear fruit. But you notice what's interesting of this in me is he says here in verse number uh, four, he says, um, watch this, abide in me and I in you. Verse number two, he speaks of these unfruitful branches that are in him, but is he in them? Verse number two, does he say he's in those unfruitful branches? No, he never does. He says, they claim me, but I'm not claiming them. And I think that's one of our interpretive keys here, because as we go into the unfruitful branches, um, some believe those to be true Christians that fall away. That at one time they believed in Jesus and had sincere faith, but fruit never came about. Some say these are unfruitful Christians that die, that pass away. I think if you look at the rest of the Bible and kind of compare how the Bible teaches about these things, I think that these ideas fall a little bit short. But instead, I think what we see is we see false believers that are removed from the vine. Now, don't confuse this phrase in me with how Paul would say later in Christ. These are different phrases with different intentions. But he describes those who believe, who truly believe as being in him. And he says, then I am in you. And we're going to find here in the next chapter, John chapter number 15, that Jesus begins to, I'm sorry, John chapter number 16, and in John chapter number 14, that there are promises going out about how the Spirit of God would dwell in those who put their faith in him. And so I believe here Jesus is speaking of those that are professing faith in him, and he says that I will indwell, I will be in you. And so if we have true faith in Jesus, we are both in him and he is in us. So then what happens with the fruitful branches? We see the unfruitful branches, they're removed, they're cut off. But the fruitful branches, how then does God address those? Well, we see again, verse number four, abide in me, I in you. I'm sorry, verse number two, he says this, every branch that does bear fruit, watch, he prunes. Why does he prune the fruitful branches? So that they bear less fruit? No, so that they bear more fruit. You see, we don't go to pruning a branch, can seem a little counterintuitive if you're not familiar with the process, right? Um, If you were to explain that I have to cut off a part of this so that it grows healthier, instinctively we'd say, no, that's growth is good, right? But as we have an understanding of the process that's happening, we begin to understand that that pruning is very important to the health of the branch. And so as this branch is growing, the unfruitful parts of it are trimmed away. And so we see that these are pruned so that they can bear more fruits. And then watch what happens here. I want you to see this. Uh, verse number 
Let's keep reading verse number five. I am the vine, you are the branches. So he explains this metaphor. Whoever abides in me continues in me, and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And so what's happening here? We actually, if you, if you were paying attention here, we just caught a progression of events. Because watch verse number two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why does he prune it? Verse number two, that he may bear what kind of fruit? Not a trick question. More fruit, right? And then look at verse number eight. By this is my father glorified that you bear what kind of fruit? Much fruit. And so we see the bearing of fruit. And then that fruit goes to more fruit. And then God's desire for us is not just more fruit, but much fruit. A lot of fruit. And so we see a progression of fruitfulness. Progression of spiritual fruitfulness. So often, if we don't see progress immediately, what happens? What, do, what happens inside of us? We get discouraged, right? I've been dieting for a week. Why have I only lost three pounds, right? I've been exercising four times. And I'm still not in shape, right? That's why uh, gyms are packed in which month? (laughs) And then in February, they're back to normal, right? Uh, That's why as we uh, start our Bible reading plans and we say, I'm going to read through the Bible this year, and we start in Genesis, and we go through Genesis, and we're doing okay until we get towards the end, and then it gets good again, and then we get in Exodus, and we're like, yeah, that's cool, and then end of Exodus, we're like, ah, this is getting a little tough, and then Leviticus, we're just like, done, right? Because we don't see all of that transformation like we wanted to see right away. Well, why would our spiritual growth be any different? Why would our spiritual growth be something that just transforms magically from not to growth? Why would it be any, in any way separate from that? I want you to understand this very clearly with me. Spiritual growth does not happen in a day. It happens daily. Daily. You don't wake up one day saying, look at me, I am Mr. or Miss Mature Christian. No, daily. Daily. One of my favorite verses on spiritual growth, 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse number 18. Paul is writing and he says this, We all with open face, with unveiled face, are beholding as in a glass or in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Well, how do we behold the glory of God? Uh, We go to the word of God, right? And so we open up the word of God. It's like looking into a mirror where we see Jesus and we see who he is and it reveals who we are. And then as we are looking in that mirror, watch this, we are changed into the same image. Now that word, that phrase, are changed. Is that our, we are changing ourselves? Is that an active word? No. We are changed from step to step or from one degree of glory to another. Watch this. It's progressive. It happens over time. And then follow me. 
Who's doing the changing in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 18? Even as by, does anyone know how that verse finishes? The Spirit of the Lord. So do you know who is changing you to be like Christ? It's not me. And it's not even you. It's the Spirit of the Lord. And how does that happen? Well, it begins with, we abide in Christ. Does the branch of the tree say, look at me being fruitful on my own? No. What's the job of the branch? To abide in the vine. And so we see that spiritual growth doesn't happen immediately. It doesn't happen in a day. It happens daily. Daily. Watch also, watch what's happening here. Verse number four again. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Well, watch this. Abiding in Christ also means that Christ abides in you. Continuing in Christ means that Christ is also continuing in us. Because our transformation towards spiritual maturity cannot happen in our own power or of our own influence or our own ability. I don't care how determined you are. I don't care how strong you think you are or how smart you think you are. We cannot do this on our own. Our spiritual maturity comes as we are in Christ and as Christ is in us which is why it's so important that we get into the word of God until that word of God is just inside of us until it has total control of who we are. Because this process of abiding means that we are both in him and he is in us and he is in control of us. But that's a process that doesn't happen overnight. We don't just change all of a sudden and then we were and then now we are. This is a maturing thing that happens. And watch the results. Watch the fruit of abiding. Let's go back to uh, verse number seven. He begins to tell us about the fruit of abiding. Watch this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And so what we just read was a number of things that happen as we abide in Christ. Let's break them down before we wrap up today. Watch this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And so when we are dwelling in Christ, and Christ is dwelling in us, he says, you can ask anything that you want. Now, hold up. Does this mean that God is our genie all of a sudden? Is abiding in Christ just this magic formula that he is now our lamp, and we rub the lamp just like in Aladdin, and then he pops out and says, three wishes, whatever you want. No, 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 no. Understand that as God transform you, transforms you, and as you abide in him, and as he abides in you, he's going to change what's inside of you. Jesus says in one of the Gospels, he says, you don't have because you don't ask. And then he says, he clarifies, he goes, you ask and you don't have because you ask 
for the wrong reasons, a miss. Because you want to consume this on your lusts, your desires, your greeds. You want to do this thing and you want it selfishly. And so as Jesus is speaking of our transformation, as he matures us, the things we ask for mature. Did you know that? As he matures us, the things we ask for become more mature things. You see, when we are children, we ask for childish things, don't we? Every once in a while, a kid will say something really profound, and we're like all surprised and amazed because we're just like expecting them to ask for like ice cream for dinner, right? There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just going to clarify. But that's what kids want. Now, you and I, we go around eating ice cream for dinner every night. First of all, we're getting uh, much larger than we want to be. Second of all, um, heartburn exists the older we get. Um, we don't feel as good. Our stomachs don't like digest as well. Like we, nah, not, not a thing. Not here for it. Right? But we ask for more mature things. We ask for more uh, substantial, more uh, things that are better for our benefit, hopefully. <laughs> so the same is with our spiritual growth and things that we're praying for. Because understand that as God transforms us, what is he doing? You see, when we are saved, when we are born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, when we put our faith in Jesus alone for our salvation, he says, okay, I declare you to be a child of God. This is who you are. But understand, our behaviors don't immediately line up with that, do they? The minute we come to Christ, our behaviors don't automatically go, boom, we're a child of God. Yep, we're in line with And so that process of maturity is one that the Bible talks about as being our sanctification. It's the transformation from how we were living without Christ to align with who we are in Christ. And understand this, the closer we get to who God has saved us and rescued us to be, a.k.a. a child of God, the more our wants, the more our desires, the more our hearts line up with his. And so what we find is that the things that we ask for are the things that he wants to do anyways. The things that our hearts begin to hunger for are not our own comforts that we can just have and to make us not have to do anything else, not have to work hard again. No, 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 no. We ask for things that are both for our good as well as his glory, even if those are sometimes things that are difficult to ask for. You see, as we mature in our Christian faith, we find sometimes that our prayers are things that we don't even in the flesh want. But God desires them. John chapter number three. John says this phrase, he must increase, I must decrease. Do you think John wanted to decrease in his flesh? You think John just had that kind of flesh where he's just like, hey, if I'm just hidden in the back. No. That's a mature prayer of a believer. That God would increase and that John's name would decrease. And so we see this transformation. We see that results in answered prayer. Not only that, watch this. He says, I will, you will ask what you will and it will be done for you. Verse number eight, by this, my father is glorified. We're going to come back to that phrase that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. And so the results of abiding is fruit. In the Bible, there are two different um, aspects of fruit that we see play out very clearly. The first is multiplication. Multiplication, that means this. Uh, We see the seed of the fruit begins the process of creating fruit over again. Multiplication. 
And so Jesus speaks of that kind of fruitfulness. But not only that, there is a passage in the book of Galatians. And so if you're wondering what fruitfulness looks like in practical ways, the early stages of fruitfulness before the more fruit and much fruit stuff. And in the book of Galatians, Paul writes and he says, these things are the, the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Seven of them. Let me ask you this. Are these fruits in your life? Not just can you demonstrate or can you make it look like you have these fruits. Are these fruits in you? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All right? Are those in us? You see, if you look at your life and you examine your life and you're like, well, I'm good with this fruit, but that fruit, eh. Listen, maybe it's not the spirit that's bringing that fruit about in your life. Can I say that this morning? Maybe it's not the spirit that's bringing the fruit about in your life. You see, some of us were maybe born with our flesh is able to accomplish one or two of those fruit on its own. Maybe you're just naturally a joyful person, but gentle ain't no way. Self-control, don't have that. Listen, fruit of the spirit means that when the spirit is in our life and we are attached to the vine and Jesus is in us, a.k.a. his spirit is in us, these are the fruits that will result. But here's what that also means. It means we can't blame our lack of fruits of the Spirit on our personalities, on our frustrations, on any of those things. Because understand this. If you are not bearing these fruit of the Spirit, you are not growing in the Spirit. These are fruit that are evidence that the Spirit is working in us. And we can try all we want to justify or to explain away, but listen, the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit are these nine characteristics. And so if you want to argue this, we can argue this, and it's the Word of God. So at the end of the day, submission to God says, okay, Lord, you're showing me that I don't possess peace like I ought to. I don't possess joy like I ought to. I don't demonstrate biblical love like I ought to. And here's the thing. If we pay attention, we're going to see that we fall short in most, if not all of these ways, often, don't we? Because God's still maturing us and still growing us and still transforming us to be like his son, Jesus. So we see answered prayer. We see much fruit. Watch this. He continues. He goes down further and he says this in verse number 11. These things have I spoken to you. Why? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So what's the result of abiding in Christ? What's that word here? What's the key word in this verse? Joy. Joy. Now, is joy the same as being happy? No. No. Understand this. There are days that are going to be difficult. There are days that are going to be, can I use this illustration, pruning days where things are removed from our lives and we say, I really liked that branch. I really liked that thing and God prunes it away. That pruning process, I mean, it's cutting away something that was part of this branch, right? Does that sound comfortable to anyone? No. 
But through it all, what happens? Joy. Joy. This feeling, and this not, not even a feeling, but this understanding that God is working all of this together for our good. But not only that, watch the, the ultimate reason that we're called to bear fruit. It's for the glory of God. Right here in this passage, watch what happens here. And verse number, uh, verse number seven. Okay? If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. See, in the middle of this is the glory of God. This is the fruit that all the other fruit leads to. You see, God is glorified when our prayers are answered. You understand that? He wants to answer our prayers because he gets glory when our prayers are answered. He gets glory when we multiply other disciples. When others come to follow after Jesus, when those are saved, when they're baptized, when they take their next steps as they mature and grow in their faith, he gets glory. Not only that, but he gets glory when Christians follow after and demonstrate that fruit of the Spirit, doesn't he? When Christians behave the way Christians are called to behave, God gets glory. All of these things point us back to the glory of God. Because at the end of the day, when we go and when we begin to examine a vine, we don't look at the branches and say, wow, that is such a fruitful branch. What do we do? You go to a vineyard and you say, wow, what a fruitful vine. What a work that this vine has done. The branches disappear into the work that the vine is doing as a whole. And you and I, watch this, we may and we should, in a lot of ways, be forgotten. But if God is glorified through our lives, Amen, so be it. Because at the end of the day, it's not about you, it's not about me, it's about the vine bearing fruits. And so what we find is that all of these things are pointing us to the glory of God. But where does it begin? It begins with abiding in Christ, dwelling in, living in, continuing in, staying in Christ. So watch this. Abiding in Christ, it is a daily decision. It's a daily decision to saturate ourselves with Jesus. The word cannot abide in you if you don't abide in the word. The word cannot abide in you if you do not abide in the word. You see, how many of you, you eat daily, at least once a day, Right? Okay. Okay. Most of us and some liars. Okay. Good. We all eat daily. Now, I'm reminding you that it's 1130 and you're getting hungry, so we're going to wrap up. We all eat, right? But could you imagine what it would be like to eat once a week? But yet, spiritually, so often we say, yeah, I was at church on Sunday. I did the church thing. Listen, if you only eat on Sunday, how long before you're hungry? Most of you, end of the day Sunday, right? How long before, how long before you need more of the, the word of life? Monday? Well, maybe. But you go seven days and you say, oh, man, I just I feel so hungry all the time. Or uh, this is one thing that pastors hear often. We hear, oh, I'm not being fed. And you know what? I'm like, hey, 
how often have you prepared a meal for yourself, right? Because understand this, we have to be in the word. We have to be in Christ. That branch, could you imagine if we were to go out and break a branch off of a vine or a tree? And then every week for an hour and a half, we were to plug it back into the tree, tape it up, and then just leave it there and then remove it again. How long would that branch survive? It wouldn't, right? What kind of fruit is that branch going to bear? None. Because it's not attached to the tree. It's not attached to the vine. And yet spiritually, you and I, we want the word of God to abide in us and to do its thing and grow and be fruitful. And yet we refuse to abide in Christ or let him abide in us. Can I just, two words for you, good luck. It's not going to happen. Unless we choose to live in, dwell in, remain in, day and night, we are in the word. Now, does that mean we're always walking around with the Bible in front of our face? But it mean, No, but it means that we are in the Bible enough that those principles, we're meditating on the scriptures. As we go about through the day, we're remembering. As we see needs that are coming up, we're going to God in prayer and we're asking of these things. And he says, I want to answer those prayers. But it means we are living in Christ through all things. So can I tell you this? When you go to work, if you're an engineer. You know what kind of engineer you are? You are a Christian engineer, a follower of Christ first. You go home today and you're a husband or you're a wife or you're a mother or a daughter. Listen, you are a Christian husband and a Christian wife and a Christian mother and a Christian daughter and son. And whatever you are, before you're any of those other things, you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Which means this, for you and I, there is not a difference between the secular and the sacred. We don't just come in here and do church things. We are the church. So we go out there and we continue to be the church. If you're a part of the church, you don't walk out of this building and cease being the church. You are still the church. Now on Sundays, the church gathers. It matters, yes. But the church is so much more than this building. I love this building. I love the ability that we have to be able to come here and to worship. If something happened to this building tomorrow, you know what would still go on? The church. We're not just here to be a part of, but listen, so often our culture has taken the church and confined it to the walls, and we don't want Christian things. They say, your faith, it's okay to be privatized. You just keep it to yourself. You can even do it in your homes and your churches, but don't do it anywhere else. No! Because if you abide in Christ, that means you live in, you dwell in, he is part of you, you are a part of him, and that does not change the moment you exit these doors. Okay, you follow me? We abide in Christ. And the word cannot abide in you if you're not abiding in the word. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. What is the branch without the vine? Well, what word would we use to describe it? It's dead. It's dead. Church, I want you to understand this with me. And if you're in here today and you're a guest, this is your first time with us, maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you said, hey, I want to see what's going on. I'm glad you're here. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. I'm glad you're here too. And I want us all to grasp this and understand this. If we understand this, I think we'll understand the rest of what's happening in this passage. Life is only found in Jesus. Life is only found in Jesus. You know what that means? That means there's a whole list of things that life is not 
found in. You follow me? It means life is not found in your job. You say, I love my job. Good. I'm glad that you love your job. Sometimes we say, oh, my job is so life-giving. Okay, I know what you mean by that. It's encouraging. But can I tell you this? Your job is not going to give you life. Jesus is going to give you life. In fact, John chapter number 14, just a chapter before the stuff we're reading today, he says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know what it means? It means that the things that you do, it means this. Uh, life is not found in your marriage. So often, uh, so often, if I can be super honest and transparent with you, uh, the first year for my wife and I, our marriage, and maybe a lot of you guys can relate to this, the first year of marriage was difficult, right? The two becoming one, the oneing, right? It was hard. But you know what we found is we found that we were looking for life in each other. And that's not how it works. Because life is only found in Christ. So we were frustrating each other because she wasn't providing what I thought and I wasn't providing what but we were just wrong. Life's found in Jesus. Can I say this? Life's not found in your kids. I love my kids. I love my kids. I would do anything that I could for them. Your parent, you know what I'm talking about. Life's not found in them. Life's not found in them. Go read the book of Job. What happened to Job's children? He lost them. They were gone. But Job's life wasn't found in his kids. His life was found in the Lord. And in fact, Job uses this phrase, and I love this phrase. He says, the words of your mouth, Lord, the words of your mouth, I esteem them. They're more valuable than my everyday food. My everyday food. The substance that I put into my mouth, your words, more important. More important. How many of us, that's our perspective. Listen, life is only found in Jesus. You can go around and you can have a body that looks to be alive. We're dead inside. In fact, the Bible teaches us that that's how all of us are born. When we come into the world, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Two of the most powerful words in the whole Bible. You find them in Ephesians chapter 2, many of other places. But Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, but God. And when we were dead in our sin, when we were separated from God for eternity because of our wrongdoing, listen, but God. And even as we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us and gave himself for us. Why? So that we can have life. Not so we can have life. So we can never perish, but have everlasting, eternal, forever life with him, made right with God through his death, his burial, his resurrection. That's why we talk about this thing we call the good news. Or the word sometimes we use is gospel. Means the same thing. That Jesus came and he died so that you don't have to. One day, sure, this body it's gonna be dead, and that's fine. That's fine. But I'll be more alive than I've ever been. And if you put your faith in Jesus, so will you. Because life, it's only found in Jesus. And we build so many idols. We are so good at that. We take these things and we try to plug them into God. We try to fill these voids and say, okay, this is where I will find my life, my joy, my peace, my happiness. I need a hobby. I need a this. I need a that. Listen, life is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. You'll be searching the rest of your life if you think you can plug it up with anything else. Life is only found in Jesus. Abide in him. Continue in him. 
dwell in him, to live in him.